Hey, hey, welcome back. And today I am in conversation with the incredible Sarah Drage, who is a woman on a mission, not only to help as many others as possible to find positivity from their mental health challenges, but also to take on the small undertaking of changing society's stigma towards alcoholics after sadly losing her dad to alcoholism. Prepare to be inspired. All right then, welcome to the show, Sarah Drage. I'm so excited that you're here. Um, I'll let you introduce yourself in a minute, but I just wanted to reflect on how we met because it was only just over a year ago, but it feels so much longer. It does, um, doesn't it? Mm. And we met at a networking lunch in London, of all places, and happened to be sat next to each other. Uh, it was with the amazing entrepreneur, Samana Duran. So we ended up being around the table together and worked out that we lived like, what, 15 miles away from each other? I know, in it's yeah and you were like oh my god when you realized what I was doing you were like oh my god I've got a preposition for you and I was like tell me and we just got super excited about this body confidence photo shoot you were having in the January like the next month um and that's where our kind of story our friendship started because I'm so excited to talk about everything that I've seen you achieve and grow into in the last 12 months so why don't you introduce us introduce yourself um to the listeners of course I no thank you that was a lovely introduction thank you and I can't believe it was that long ago it's gone so quick crazy massively um so yeah I'm Sarah Drage and I am the founder of a organization called warrior kind where we are a mental health support organization advocating positive conversations around mental health so we have had to really adapt our strategy and our model going forward because of the pandemic so we are going to be introducing a 24 7 support line very soon it's in the process that's coming that will probably be released alongside our new app um we will be resuming the mini documentaries and the mini films which feature real people talking about their mental illness and their experiences and how it's affected them but we also interview people or therapists or professionals within the mental health industry that can introduce new treatments to people Amazing. Um, and on top of all of that we are launching warrior kind training solutions which will be bespoke training services but also we are what i'm currently doing the course mental health first aid england to train me to be a instructor so i can deliver the full training package for mental health first aid Mm -hmm. so eventually what i want to be able to do is deliver that training for free to our members so within that platform we have trained individuals who can speak to one another whenever they're in a crisis um if they come to facebook or the social media platform that we have developed ourselves for warrior kind then they know that they can speak to somebody who is trained within that area um so my inspiration for warrior kind came from my own experiences with mental illness so I had I say had because I'm four months post treatment now I had an amazing treatment which cured I believe has cured 
health anxiety. So during my second pregnancy, I developed health anxiety and it was, do you know what? It was just crippling. It was Mm. absolutely debilitating. It was an irrational compulsive fear of illness. But in particular for me, there was a real strong fear of cancer. I don't know where that came from, but any tiny little symptom, any twitch, any ache, any pain, any new mark, anything would be enough to send me over the edge to think Mm. irrationally. And it was a fear of death, right? Like I I was a new young mum and I was scared of leaving my babies without a mum. So it weren't really my, yes, I was worried about my own mortality, but it was more I was worried about leaving my children without a parent. Mm. So that absolutely put the fear of life into me. But then when that fear um, was directed towards my children and my husband, it became it well, it increased tenfold. I mean, it's bad enough worrying about yourself, but to mm-hmm. then worry about something on your kids, it just became a little bit, it became even worse than debilitating, mm. if I'm honest. Um, so I had that to contend with. But on top of all of that, throughout my entire 20s and most of my adult life was where my dad's drinking problem really came to light. So my dad was an alcoholic and he suffered with his mental health, but he didn't have the confidence to talk openly. Um, his generation taught him that having a mental illness was a sign of a weakness. So he would drown out the noise with alcohol instead. Mm-hmm. So we didn't understand that at the time. It's only really now that it's really coming out of the woodworks, alcoholism, that it's a disease. And, and you know, that's what I'm talking about. You know that mm-hmm. TED Talk, that's yeah. where I'm going with that. So, but going back to my dad, it, it really affected my own mental health and we lost him in 2017 after an excessive alcohol binge after we lost his dad so we went for a period of bereavement and he did what he only knew best to deal with his mental illness he he went back to the bottle um and it killed him so within 30 hours of being admitted to A&E we were switching off his life support and I knew at that point with my own illness with health anxiety I knew then when we switched off that machine, it was a real pivotal moment that I thought, okay, I'm going to sink or swim. Like this moment is either going to make me or it's going to break me. And then I thought about my children and I thought about, I've lived my life affected by my dad's mental illness and his drinking. I don't want this for my kids. So I need to swim (laughs) and I need to swim fast. And it was a real pivotal moment. And I think, friends and family all thought when he died uh this could really break Sarah and I think everyone was really worried about me but do you know what it did the absolute opposite and I say now and this sounds really cliche so I say to people that yes my dad dying was probably the worst moment in my life so far but also it's been the best because I wouldn't be where I am now and I feel like I get emotional talking about this but I sorry (laughs) I feel like he's gifted me that was his gift to me so it's really put everything into perspective and I'm learning I've learned from what he went through and warrior kind was a part of that warrior kind was a platform developed from a Facebook group for people to openly talk about their mental health but to talk about it not just talk about it in a I mean really openly to talk about it be empowered and go do you know what yes, I have health anxiety and I do not care what anybody thinks. I'm liberated because 
I am sick and tired of that judgment that society puts on you for mental illness. And had my dad felt the confidence to talk about his mental health, then maybe he'll still be here now. Maybe he wouldn't have gone to the bottle. Maybe he would have had treatment. He would have gone to therapy. He would have taken antidepressants. But there's such a huge stigma that I thought, well, no, we need to we need to change this. And I knew that in order to do that, I had to be, I had to start that. And I had to set that example and I had to lead by example and get up on that platform and talk about what I've been through and talk about it so openly. So you know me, Emma, I am an open book. <laughs> <laughs> I talk very openly about what I've been through and I do it. I know there's a, there's a huge stigma, isn't there, within society that, oh, if you're doing it, then you're, you're attention seeking or you're, I don't do it at all for that. I mean, ideally, I would have loved to have been in a situation where I still had my dad here. I wouldn't, in an ideal world, I would not be focusing on trying to get everyone to talk about mental health and focusing on this massive platform. And I'd be with my dad. That's mm. the, that's the ideal yeah. side of it, but that's not what's happened. And that was a real horrible negative situation in my life that doesn't have to stay like that it can be positive and you know what I believe I'll see him again and I believe that somewhere wherever he is he's going to be going go on girl like that's my girl and you're doing that for me and you're doing that in my name so that kind of drives me that's my driving force it's Mm -hmm. my dad um so warrior kind was born from that experience from all of that after my dad died I did develop PTSD so uh, that came out 18 months after he died um actually that came about when my little girl hit her head and knocked herself out so she had a bout of concussion and I went into a I've never felt anything like it but it was a series of flashbacks not just flashbacks in the moment but flashbacks in the feeling so when we were in the ambulance riding up to A&E and she's vomiting everywhere and she's got typical symptoms of concussion, even though they were telling me she's fine, this is concussion. I kept thinking she's going to die. And this is what you told me about my dad. You told me my dad would be fine, but he wasn't. So I had all of these flashbacks and this feeling that we were going to that hospital and I was going to lose somebody else that I loved. But this time it was my little girl. And I think any parent will relate to this and will understand where I'm coming from but yeah it's it's terrible worrying about yourself it's terrible worrying about a parent but there is nothing worse than worrying about a child your own child and that that is just that was a different level of um mental pain that I endured and it was after that a series of triggers and emotional torment that was PTSD so I had recurring nightmares the smell um, of when I went to visit him in the chapel of rest, everything came back and it, that was crippling. So I had a treatment called EMDR therapy, which is eye movement desensitization. Oh, I can't remember the rest of it. I'll have to get that, but that really worked. And that was really effective. So that put me on track. And it was after that, after I had the treatment for PTSD, that warrior kind really, really came about and it's still evolving it's still out there I mean I couldn't have done it I mean I've partnered up with two or three three amazing people so two creative film producers who have worked on some incredible sets before and our um, executive director has just got a wealth of business knowledge because I mean the three of us can't 
think about warrior kind as a business but we kind of have to so we can make it sustainable mm-hmm. we can keep the project going so that's where Christian our exec director comes in and he's amazing so yeah it's still evolving it's still um there's still lots planned for the future but at the moment this is where we are with training our helpline and our social media platform um and our warrior stories where we're trying to inspire other people wow what a story like what I've just heard and I've learned a few new things about you as well but what I've just heard or what strikes me is like in three or maybe four years now you've dealt with the loss of your granddad as well as your dad yep you've gone through health anxiety of your own um health anxiety around your children your family your nearest and dearest as well as ptsd yet out of all that you still had something in you that was driving you to a find a solution and a way out and for yourself and your family because you knew you couldn't live like that but it's gone on to spur this passion and purpose in you to help so many other people and you are making an impact in such a short time with warrior kind with so many people are you even aware of how like incredible that is no no do you know what I when you said all of that I no I don't to be honest I don't see it like that and I know that sounds weird oh you're being really modest don't be so humble but I actually I find myself sometimes feeling a little bit selfish because as much as I'm helping other people, I don't think they realise how much they've helped me. So when I set up Warrior Kind, I, you know, it's been, don't get me wrong, it's been incredibly difficult. It's been hard. I've had to deal with a lot of cynical comments, a lot of scepticism around what I'm doing. And, but at the same time, I've also create, developed new friendships and, I've met new people and I've learned a lot about myself and I'm doing things that I didn't ever believe that I could ever do. And part of Warrior Kind, the whole platform and what it's given me sometimes makes me feel a little bit like, well, it's probably helping me more than it's helping anybody else. <laughs> so no, I don't really I don't really see how to me, I've just I've done it and it's helped me so much that I don't really see that side of it I mean I think that's great and I think that's absolutely brilliant and on the other side of it as well I felt like I didn't have a choice I I had to do that and I think when you put in that situation and you've gone through that much trauma and that much anxiety in such a short amount of time that it it can have that opposite effect on you Mm -hmm. and I knew at that point that I knew that if I didn't do something like this I knew that I'm, I might have ended up like my dad mm-hmm. who knows who knows how it manifests but it's given me purpose and that's been huge it's that purpose that I didn't feel like I had during my 20s I felt like I spent my entire 20s trying to find myself and find <laughs> what Don't do we I, all? Yeah, I just <laughs> I, I left school like everything that I did like my a-levels my degree none of it linked none of it kind of was brought together I mean I did performing arts while I was at school I wanted to be an actress I wanted to be a singer and then I went to university after a gap year and did crime and policing and majored in forensic investigation and I've not used it since but I I did it because I just felt like I was always 
flitzing in between what I might like because I didn't feel like I knew what my purpose was what am I here to do and now I believe that actually that whole your childhood your 20s all of that was molding you into the person you are now because without those experiences you wouldn't be at the situation you're at now so I'm actually in a way it sounds really again it sounds really cliche but I'm actually quite grateful for what I've been through I think it's taught me something that I couldn't have learned from a textbook I've got a different level of open-mindedness now and compassion and empathy that couldn't have been taught that's been learned that's like a lived experience kind of thing that I've developed and yeah, I, I wish that my dad was still here, like all the time. But at the same time, it's I've got to look at the positive side of it, and I've got to do that because I know that's what he would want, and I know that he would be. I don't want his death to be in vain. I don't yeah. want his death to affect another generation. I want it to stop there, and that was a big thing for me because I knew that if that happened, he would have died for no reason. Mm. And that sounds really cliche, but I kind of knew that uh, if, if he is watching me, if he is around and he's looking at me and he's looking at that break in him, he won't be able to move on peacefully. And I would then know that his death has killed another person, essentially, because if that's going to bring me down, that's it's killing me. Mm. So I knew in his honour my God, that sounds so cheesy, doesn't it, Emma? Not <laughs> In its honour, I, I had to kind of buck up and go, right, okay, how can I how can I get out of this? How can I fix this? And let's just put this into context for those that are listening. How old are you? I'm 31. 31. You're 31, you've got two little girls, you're married. You were up until five months four months ago employed yes back in I I resigned in June in June okay so you were holding down a job a family and creating all of this as well so I just want to put that into context (laughs) because it really is impressive (laughs) I hope one day you look back and go wow I did good because not everyone when they're in that rock bottom moment will have the strength and find something in them to pull themselves out so I am I'm glad that you're using your experience and what I love about Warrior Kind is you are all about um, plugging into the positive messages that are coming out of it um, out of the struggle and the challenges around mental health now I just want to go into this the whole stigma that you mentioned and I'm incredibly proud to be part of the TEDx team in Folkestone and you are one of our speakers this year. So um, no, I'm so, so excited <laughs> about that. So um, I can remember us having that first conversation. Well, I think we even said it before I was even involved in TEDx. It's like, you've got, you got to be on the TEDx stage with this. Um, and then I was like, oh, I've joined the TEDx team. Perhaps you want to apply. And then it was like a, a little process Um and the ultimate outcome had nothing to do with me, by the way. I had to declare that I knew you and sort of be um, impartial in my um, kind of assessment of the your application. But you were successful. You're one of our eight speakers. Um, and actually, your message in your talk is kind of standalone in itself, really, isn't it, from Warrior Kind? 
with yes. a, with a yeah like obviously it's related but it's standalone and it's so powerful so ta- give us the essence of what you're going to stand up and talk on the TEDx stage to the world about but so I believe that the stigma attached to being an alcoholic killed my dad ultimately I believe that had he felt confident and not ashamed to go and seek support and openly admit that he needed help then he might still be here today so the overriding message of the talk is that as a society we are quick to judge an alcoholic um but we don't take into consideration other illnesses and substances like smoking for instance how that also kills people and how it takes up NHS time. Because one one big thing that people say, and one thing that was said a lot when my dad died was that, well, there's nothing you could have done, Sarah. He did this to himself. He only had himself to blame. And as comforting as they were trying to be, it didn't comfort me. If anything, it made me even more angry because I thought, well, hang on. Like, you're telling me he did that to himself. But the majority of type 2 diabetes, of type 2 diabetes cases, are brought on by a diet. An inactive lifestyle 90% of lung cancers are caused by smoking like 80% of our illnesses are brought on by stress and lifestyle choices and environmental factors so it really got me thinking that there's a real inequality among society about how they view an alcoholic and I know like their behavior it's their behavior isn't it it's the ultimately what gives us that judgment towards an alcoholic is it changes their behavior but that is the alcohol changing the brain chemistry and that really isn't the fault of an alcoholic and the one thing that I was that I put across in my talk is that you can't turn around and say that they're weak and that they're self-indulgent and all of this when alcohol is a legal substance it's everywhere it is accessible it's glamorized it is absolutely everywhere you look. You can't even go to a petrol station without having bottles of alcohol behind you. Meanwhile, cigarettes and tobacco are covered behind a screen because they're unhealthy. And cocodamol, for instance, which contains opioid, which is an addictive substance, that is behind a counter and you are lectured before you buy a packet of cocodamol to tell you of the addictive properties within it. Mm-hmm. But with alcohol, you can, you can get that really easily. And I mean we know that towards the end my dad was doing a litre of vodka a day and I know he was going to the same shop every day and I just I thought at that point well it's it's a legal substance it's easily addictive alcoholism is actually a disease that we know that now it's classed as a mental illness and a disease and it's a toxic substance and not just that the biggest thing about alcohol addiction is that once you're addicted to alcohol, you are physically dependent on it. If you try to come off of it on your own, then you increase your chances of death by withdrawal. So there are so many withdrawal symptoms. I mean, if you get addicted to smoking and you want to quit smoking, you can do that quite easily. You're not going to go into, you're not going to have a seizure by not getting that nicotine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But with my dad, he had no choice but to get help or carry on drinking. Um, And he didn't feel empowered to go and get that support. So he carried on drinking to the point that he killed himself. And that is just a tragic waste in my eyes. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there are 1.6 million people in the UK that are dependent on alcohol. 
and only well, less than a quarter of them are actually receiving treatment. So that's a crisis there in itself mm. waiting to happen. And those stats were taken pre-pandemic. So I know that there's been a huge increase in alcohol intake throughout the pandemic. So it, it's a subject I feel incredibly passionate about. It's mm. something that I want to raise awareness around. Um, and it, it needs to be spoken about. It's, I mean, it's governed differently to tobacco, the tobacco industry. So that in itself, that that's an issue. And it's, it's a big issue waiting to happen, I believe. So, yeah, I mean, that's the basis of my talk. That's um... <laughs> and what's what's the dream? Like, what ultimately, if this is heard on that worldwide stage, what's what's the dream that what change would come about if it could to change people's perceptions, to give alcoholics that encouragement and that empowerment, to not feel ashamed when they seek treatment, to not feel like they have to remain anonymous throughout their treatment process. I mean, how many stop smoking groups do you see advocating anonymity to protect your reputation? I mean, these are alcoholics. They feel they have to be anonymous throughout their treatment process because of the backlash that comes from society. That, that to me, I cannot believe that we're in the 21st century and we are shaming sick. I, I can't believe that. I, I genuinely think that that's ridiculous. How, how can we how is that even logical it's just to me that's hypocritical because we don't do that with stop smoking we don't do that with diet related illnesses mm -hmm. Sixty-three thousand heart attacks in the uk every year are brought on by coronary heart disease which is a build-up of fatty substances in your arteries all of these illnesses and diseases that are essentially if you want to really if you want to go down the self-inflicted route then the majority of diseases are self-inflicted by our lifestyle choices so why is it alcoholism is any, why are we treating that differently? And the, mm. to me, the whole point in the talk is to raise awareness and to start that conversation and to change people's mindset and to make people think, oh God, yeah. Like, cause whenever I've said this to somebody, when somebody said something about an alcoholic, I mean, I recently got into a bit of a debate on social media and I, I try to avoid stuff like that. I don't like getting involved, but it really tugged it really tugged at me and it, it hit a nerve. Somebody said, oh, alcoholics don't deserve NHS treatment. And at that point, I thought, oh, excuse me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I rolled up my sleeves and got my keyboard warrior hands out. And I just said, well, does that same logic apply to smoking related diseases or heart attack? or anything else that's brought on by diet and inactiveness what are you going to say about those kind of diseases do they not deserve nhs treatment and she couldn't say anything back to me like there was nothing that mm -hmm. could there's nothing that could be said back to that um because it's the truth isn't it i, yeah. I mean the last blood test i had i had high cholesterol like that's self-inflicted i need mm -hmm. i need to watch what i'm eating but does that mean i don't deserve treatment no that that's not I mean, ultimately, it boils down to our mental health, doesn't it? And I think it's a huge vicious circle that we just need to adopt a new way of thinking um, and think more openly about these kind of things. Yeah, I love that. And I can remember as a team when we were talking about your submission, we were like, well, yeah, it's like we were like we were like we were kind of well, yeah, of course. Why has no one spoken about this before? Why is this the first time it's been brought up like this? So um, 
I'm super excited to see you on that TEDx stage and I wish you all the luck with that. You are absolutely a woman on a mission and I love I love all the ideas and how you follow through. You're not just a, a creative ideas person. You follow through on these and you are juggling so many different projects. Um, it's wonderful to see it unfold and evolve and I'm sure it will continue to go from strength to strength. What do you want to say to anyone that's listening and who resonates with any of the things you've been talking about or just mental health has concerns in in general for themselves or a loved one how can they get hold of warrior kind how can you help For anybody who wants to reach out with their mental health, I would say, I mean, first of all, you can find Warrior Kind um, via our website, which is um, warriorkind.co.uk. We've got our own social media platform on there. So if you want to talk to other like-minded individuals and remain anonymous, then you can do that. That's a choice you do have. Um, There's also resources on there and videos of other people. We call them our warriors talking about their experiences and what they've been through. But ultimately, my biggest advice would be to talk and seek support. I mean, there's a saying, isn't there? A problem shared is a problem halved. And I think that is so true. I genuinely believe that you can keep everything within and get so worked up. And all of a sudden, that level just increases and increases. And until you share that and offload that to somebody who you can trust and you can talk to, it's not going to disappear Um, Mm. And when you say it aloud, you think, oh, okay, it wasn't that bad. Like that wasn't as bad as in my head as I built it up to be. So I would say to talk about it and to be understanding if you're, if you're on the receiving end of somebody coming to you to talk to you about their own mental health, if you don't understand it, learn about it. Cause I wish that I would have done that with my dad. Right. I wish Mm. that I look back at my dad's illness I didn't realise when he was alive that alcoholism was a disease. I didn't realise that he couldn't help it. And I'll be the first to admit that I was one of those people that stigmatised my dad. I did did say to him, just snap out of it, dad. That's the worst thing I could have said to him. And I look back at that and think, I should have learned. And that was a responsibility on me. So if somebody talks to me now about something that I don't understand, then I will ask them, how can I help? What do you need from me? And I will go out of my way and I will learn about it because unless you've been through that, you're never going to understand from their perspective. So it's very difficult to give advice when you don't know or you're not trained Mm -hmm. or you've not been through it. We owe that to our loved ones, really, don't we? (laughs) Oh, I love you, Sarah. No, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being on the show. And well, I will thank make you sure for me. Uh, it's a pleasure. I'll make sure everyone knows how to get hold of you in the show notes. So take thank care you. and take thanks care. guys for listening. Thanks. Bye.